You're listening to a Garden City Chapel podcast. For a complete list of podcasts, visit our website at www.gardencitychapel.com. Jeff, I appreciate so much you coming, sharing your gifts with us and uh, leading us. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. I was also thinking about Cindy. You may be in the audience. I got an email last week from a guy who said, could you please give me the music? Could you ask your pianist, you know, what was that song she played for the offertory? And so I emailed Cindy and I said, Cindy, somebody wants the music. And uh, that was her own composition. I don't think she's ever written it down. So you couldn't send him anything. Uh, You just have to come with a recorder, I guess, and get it. But uh, so thank you also, Cindy, for all the her gifts and talents. And, and that's the neat thing about being able to worship the Lord with how he's gifted you. And so uh, I appreciate that. I've been preaching through the book of Acts and we're into Acts 20. And I do want to do one brief commercial as we've looked through the book of Acts. There's so many places that we've talked about, places in the Holy Land. And for those of you that are interested in going with some of the chapel family to the Holy Land. We're having a meeting tomorrow night at 7 o'clock in the little chapel. Just informational. Not You're not making a commitment or anything, but we're going in January. If you'd like more information, uh, you can be at the meeting tomorrow night. If you can't be at the meeting, call us or email us, and we'll get the information to you uh, about the details of that trip. If you found Acts chapter 20, verses, uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 17, but I've, I've entitled this message, A View from the Finish Line. I don't know if you ever think about that or not, about what is, what's it going to be like as you see the finish line approaching, or maybe as you stand pretty close to the finish line looking back over your life. Have you ever thought about what you would want people to say about you at the end of your life? I'm impressed with one of the ancient Greek games in, in ancient Greece when they had the Olympics there. Uh, one of the, one of the uh, races was not about who finished the finish line first, or who crossed the finish line first, but it was who crossed it with their torch still lit. And as I thought about that, I want my torch lit when I cross the finish line. That's not the torch of salvation, it's the torch of ministry. And that's what Paul explains to us as he really closes a chapter of his life. He's been ministering in Ephesus for about three years. And he sees the real finish line approaching. He knows it's close. He's trying to get back to Jerusalem with an offering. And ultimately, he wants to get to Rome. But as he approaches getting back towards Jerusalem, he wants to meet one last time with the leaders from Ephesus. Let me begin by reading this passage in Acts chapter 20, verses 17 and following. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God. And faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just start with that passage. An example of Paul's humble service. He he called the leaders of the church together. And for some of you, you may think, well, hey, I'm not an elder. This message doesn't apply to me. Listen, this this message applies to anybody who has called the name of Christ. You're, You're in ministry. 
whether you're paid for it or not. You know, the old joke, us ministers who are paid to be good, the rest of you have to be good for nothing. Well, that's really what, who Paul's talking to. But also, even if you're not a believer, if you're here this morning, you're saying, you know what? I've never trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Paul's got a word in this passage for you, too. So he calls the leaders together. And I love what he says at first. He says, you know. What he's about to tell them, he's saying, you know what? My testimony speaks for itself. You, you've heard me teach. You've watched what I've done. You know what I'm about to tell you is true. Paul wasn't having to get to the end of his life and say, here's what I wish was true about me. But Paul was saying, here's what has been true about me there. I've left an example for you to follow. And he says, from the, from the moment I first set foot, Paul didn't sneak up on anything. <laughs> Paul, when he entered any town, Paul started typically by going to the synagogue and preaching to the Jews. And a lot of times he'd get kicked out of the synagogue, and he did in Ephesus. He was there about three months got kicked out of the synagogue, went and rented space to preach for the next two-plus years. So about three years in Ephesus. And so he says, I hit the ground running. As soon as I set my foot there, you knew that I was serving the Lord. And he's going to explain how he served the Lord. But I want to, I want to unpack that word just a minute. Paul used this quite often as he started letters. Paul used the word slave. Doulos. The word that he would use is one of being an involuntary slave or a voluntary slave. And here's what Paul said. Look, I know who the boss is. I know who my Lord, my chief commander is. And that's who I serve. And I just want to say this to you. Listen, if you fill a role in church and there's times you feel like you're underappreciated, or there's times you feel like you face opposition for people, it's when you go back and ask the question, who am I serving? Am I serving God or man? Now, we serve God by serving men. God's got a work for you to do. I had a youth pastor say this to me. I used to meet with youth pastors a lot more often than I do now for breakfast. And uh, this guy said at a, at a breakfast meeting of about ten youth pastors, he said, you know, the ministry wouldn't be so bad if it wasn't for people. And I know what he meant by that. But, folks, people are what God's called us to. But listen, when you face opposition, it's not, they aren't your boss. You don't change your approach based on the opposition you may face. You come back to God and say, God, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing what you call me to do? If I am, then I'm serving you. Paul even said this in Galatians. Am I trying to seek to please men or God? And we'll unpack a little bit more of that in, in just a minute. But he said, I'm serving the Lord in three ways that he said he did it. First of all, with all humility. What does it mean to serve God with humility? The word, the word literally means humility of mind. It means having the same attitude that Paul talks about in Philippians, to have the same attitude that was in Christ, that our, although he was with God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be clung or held on to, but emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, became obedient. That's how Paul, modeled by Jesus Christ to Paul, he said, I served with humility. Refusing to claim anything for myself. Paul acknowledged, this isn't about me. This is about serving the Lord and ministering among you. So he did it with humility. He also did it with tears. We see in other writings of Paul how he said, I'm writing this even with tears. I think the paper he was putting this stuff down on even had tear stains on it. And the two groups of people we see Paul cry over are lost people. In fact, Paul even said this in Romans. He said, I wish that I myself could be accursed if my brothers could come to know the Jesus that I know. I couldn't pray that. <laughs> but that's what Paul prayed. 
I think with tears, he understood the serious condition of somebody that didn't know Jesus Christ. I think he also prayed over weakness in believers. The believers that were being led astray, the believers that had heard the truth and received it gladly, but were getting tripped up by false teachers. And he's going to address that in just a minute. But he said, I also ministered among you with tears, which indicates a personal concern for people and a passion for ministry. Let me just say this. People don't care how much you know, do they know how much you care? So Paul ministered in a personal way, even with tears. And he said, I even ministered through trials and plots of the Jews. Even through trials, even though I was tested, I faced opposition on a regular basis. And all you got to do is read the book of Acts. What did Paul face? Paul had faced jail. He had faced beatings. On one time, he was left for dead. They threw rocks at him and left him for dead. And yet Paul didn't stop. He got back up and kept doing ministry. In fact, he said, I did not shrink. From the ministry that God gave me. What does that mean? It means I didn't, because of the opposition, I didn't go back and try to hide what God was doing. I didn't, you know, stick it under a bushel. I didn't try to conceal it. I didn't try to shut my mouth. Even in the face of opposition, I did not shrink from declaring to you everything that was profitable. In fact, he said, here's my mode of operation. I taught publicly in the synagogues. I taught in the city square, but also taught privately. I went house to house. And shared the good news with people. Taught you what was profitable, both to Jews and to Greeks. And I want you to get this in the first point. Here's the two things Paul, Paul taught them. If you want to take all of Paul's teaching and put it down in the nutshells right here. He said, I taught them repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What does repentance mean? Repentance means to reverse. It means to change. The Old Testament word is very similar to the New Testament word. It means you were heading in one direction and you turned. Not not 360. <laughs> I've heard teenagers say that before. It's like, man, I went to youth retreat. God got a hold of my life, turned my life around. 360 degrees. <laughs> I know what they mean, but this is what that looks like. You're walking away from God. You turn 360 degrees, you're still walking away from God. Okay? No, it's 180. Repentance. Repentance is a lot more than remorse. Let me explain the difference. Repentance is you're sorry for the act and you want to change the action. Remorse is you're sorry for the consequences. Repentance is you're sorry for what you did. Remorse is you're sorry you got caught. <laughs> and let me just say, if all you are is sorry you got caught, you'll just be more careful not to get caught. But repentance is you say, I don't want to do that anymore. And then he said, for faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, it's interesting. He said repentance towards God. Why did he put it that way? It's because when you sin, you sin against God ultimately. So you need to repent towards God. It's about God that you're repenting. In fact, it's Him that's brought you to that place of repentance. Romans says it's your kindness that leads me to repentance. It's the fact that you've drawn me. It's the fact that you've been convicting me of sin. And that's a good thing. It's drawn me to repentance. But also to place your faith in Jesus Christ. The Philippian jailer over earlier in Acts, it finally come to the place when Paul had, could have escaped and he didn't. The Philippian jailer finally said, what must I do to be saved? You remember what Paul said? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. Let me look at the two groups. Jews first. He said, I preach this to the Jews and the Greeks. The Jews had no problem with repentance. They understood repentance. They had a day called Yom Kippur. It's the day of atonement. It's the day that they came, confessed all their sins, did it one day a year. And they killed a goat. They let another goat out of the camp. 
It was called a scapegoat, and they saw that as kind of their sins were leaving. Good picture of what was coming in Christ. The only problem is they didn't place their faith in Jesus Christ. Where did they place their faith? They placed their faith back in the works of the law. Here's what that kind of repentance looks like, and I see people today doing it. God, I'm sorry. I did wrong. I'll try harder. Here's what God's asking you to do. Not to try harder. God's asking you to surrender. Not to place your faith in your works, but to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that's paid the penalty for your sin. So repentance towards God, faith in Jesus Christ. Now let's look at the Greeks. So the Jews were having a problem with that. The Jews were okay with repentance, but they didn't want to repent and turn to Christ. They wanted to repent and turn back to themselves and keeping the law. What did the Greeks do? The Greeks didn't have a problem with either one of them. They didn't see a point or a need for either one of them. The Greeks' attitude was, if it feels good, do it. When Paul says, what you're doing is sin, they're going, but it feels good. And yet the Bible said it's wrong. It takes you away from Christ. And ultimately, the end of that way is death. And so for the Greeks, they needed the same message that the Jews did. And folks, let's take it into the 21st century. We need that message. How do we come to Christ? We come repenting. How's that? We acknowledge that we're sinners and we're separated from Christ because of our sin. And we place our faith in Jesus Christ who paid the penalty for that sin. Here's what Romans says. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned. What does that mean? Look around the room. That means everybody in this room has sinned. What does sin mean? Sin means missing the mark. It means there's a goal out there and it's the righteousness of God. And every arrow we shot at it, we missed. And we would never, we couldn't sharpen the arrow enough. We couldn't be more proficient in pulling back the bow. We were going to miss it. Why? Because we're sinners. And yet Jesus Christ died on the cross. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's good news. And that's what Paul had preached to the folks in Ephesus. Now let me look at the next little section here, 22 and following. Because this is about Paul saying, finish well. In fact, he starts out with, now behold. What he's doing is going from the past, here's what has happened, to the presence. present. Now behold. Bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. So that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. And he's going to close in a minute with a message to him. But here's where Paul talks about finishing well. Now behold, all right, I've talked about here's what I did. Here's about the ministry that I had among you. But now let me tell you, I'm bound by the Spirit. I've been, I've been convicted by God that I'm on my way to Jerusalem. And the reason he was going to Jerusalem, we learned this from other writings of Paul, he was taking an offering. He was taking an offering back to Jerusalem. One of the things he was going to show the Jewish believers in Jerusalem is that these Gentile converts were going to help you in your difficult time. And so he's taking that back. He actually gets to Miletus, which is about 30 miles from Ephesus. Both of them on the coastline. And instead of getting in the boat and going backwards against bad winds, he decided to send for them 30 miles. You come down here. And that's where he had this meeting. And he said, from here, I'm going on to Jerusalem. And I know I don't know exactly what's going to happen to me in Jerusalem. But the Holy Spirit has been warning me that bonds and afflictions 
are waiting me. Literally, bands and a shackle. We knew that. Paul was going to end up in prison. Paul had already been in prison, and prison awaited. I just got to tell you, honestly, from a human standpoint, if you've ever been in prison, you don't want to go back. If you've never been in prison, you don't want to go. And yet Paul knew if that is the cost, if that is the consequences for my ministry, then I'm going to be faithful to what God's called me to, even if it means beating, even if it means being put back in prison, and ultimately even if it meant death, because that's ultimately what would come to the Apostle Paul. But here's Paul's attitude. He said, I don't consider my life as precious. What's he saying? Paul's saying, when I compare the value of my life to the call of God on my life, that's what's valuable, not this. And folks, he lived his life out that way. If you have the attitude that your life is the only thing that matters, you're the center of the universe, then everything you do is going to be to hold on to life. And if somebody says to you, quit preaching Christ, then you're going to quit preaching Christ. If people say to you, you need to quit being a Christian and quit acting like one, if holding on to your life is valuable, then you'll, you'll do that. In fact, for some of us, it's not just holding on to our life, it's even holding on to our friends or our reputation or our jobs. Listen, if the thing for you is happiness and just what feels good temporarily for the moment, you're not going to be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. But I just got to tell you, the end of that is death. It is not fulfilling. It will leave you empty. But Paul says, even though I know this awaits me, I've already decided, hey, God, I'm yours. So whenever you're ready to take me, come on. And so until you do, (laughs) I'm going to keep living the life. I'm going to keep the ministry. He said, I want to finish my course. Paul saw life as a race with a finish line. And Paul saw at the end of that finish line a prize. In the Greek games, what Paul was used to seeing in athletic contests is at the end of the race, you got a wreath or a garland that they would place on your head to say, hey, you won. And Paul knew that someday he was going to see that. Paul knew that the race he was running had a finish line, and one day God was going to call him home. And here's what Paul wanted to hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. He may not hear it on earth. Everybody on earth may turn against him. But who was Paul serving? He was serving a God who knows his motive, a God who sees in secret, but a God who ultimately will reward very publicly to say, well done. Welcome into the reward of your inheritance. And so Paul says, I don't know exactly what awaits me, but I know it's not all good. And ultimately it was going to be to his death. But he said, I want to finish well. Men and women, I pray that for you. I pray that you would pray that for me. It really isn't about how you start It's how you finish. You can start well, but if you don't finish, if you get tripped and sidelined and off the course, you need to get back in the race. Because it's not about how well we started, it's about finishing well. And so Paul says, hey, all I know is I've received this ministry from God, and I've testified solemnly about this gospel of grace, but I know that you'll no longer see my face. Now, Paul did get to come back this way. We don't have record that he necessarily came back through Ephesus, so he probably never saw these people face to face again. But this last word is rich. This last passage is his concern for the future. Let me read verses 26 through 32. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink, there's that word again, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose or whole counsel of God. 
Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Here's what Paul was doing. I don't know if you've ever taken one of your children and dropped them off at college. I've had to do that a few times. And you're trying to think, okay, what? they're not going to see my face. Now, sure, hopefully they'll see my face again, but they're not going to be able to look to mom and dad and say, what should I do here? So you hope you've taught them well, and that's what Paul's doing. Paul's saying, let me leave you some final instructions. In fact, let me warn you about a couple of things that as soon as I'm gone, here's some bad things that are going to happen. You need to be prepared for that. You need to be ready for that. So kind of like a parent, and I think Paul considered himself a parent. These were his children. Just like a parent would want to leave his kids, and just like a parent would be upset if somebody came to their children while they weren't there and lied to them, That's kind of what Paul addresses in this last passage, kind of his concern for the future. He said, I'm I'm innocent of the blood of all men. How could he say that? Paul said, because I've been faithful to proclaim the truth. So if you didn't receive the truth, it wasn't my fault because I proclaimed it to you. I didn't shrink. I didn't conceal from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. What does that mean? The word literally, the root word means the whole will of God. And I'll get on the soapbox just for a minute. In this day and age, we have too many preachers who aren't preaching the whole counsel of God. Here's what happens for preachers that don't preach the whole counsel of God. You kind of preach some topics that you're comfortable with and familiar with and kind of are your little pet topics. And one reason I, I'm, one reason I preach through passages of Scripture, I have to preach difficult passages that way. Instead of just a few, you know, we call them sugar sticks or something like that. That's kind of what's what's happening. So in this day and age, we're having what Paul was saying was going to happen. People that weren't going to preach the whole council, they may pick one little part of it and make that the whole basis of their ministry. And Paul says, what you really need to do, know, is the whole truth. So I didn't shrink. I didn't conceal anything from you. I preached the whole council. The good, bad, and the ugly, because some of it's painful. You know, you don't like going to the dentist and getting a root canal. But you know what? Sometimes you need a root canal. It's painful for a short period of time. But it's in your best interest in the long term. So that's what Paul's saying. I didn't shrink from that. But first of all, be on guard for yourselves. The word be on guard means to hold your mind towards. In other words, it means be awake, be looking. And the first place you look is at yourself. You need to do a self-examination. Am I a believer? Am I following Christ as he would have me to follow? You can't help other people. Until you've done a self-examination yourself. I don't know if you've flown on airplanes when they give the little instructions about the, air, the mask that are going to fall out of the ceiling. I always used to wonder, you know, why do they tell you if you're traveling with small children, put the mask on yourself first. That sounds selfish, doesn't it? It sounds like, yeah, just look out for yourself. If your kids die, that's okay. No, what are they saying? If you take your time helping your child put their mask on, you're going to die and not be able to help them. Put your own mask on first, then help those around you. What's Paul saying? Give attention, first of all, to yourself. Do a self-examination. Where do you stand with Christ? And then, next word is look out for the flock. 
Throughout Scripture, we see evidence that we're called sheep. And Jesus, who's the good shepherd, also called men to be over the flock that were called under shepherds or bishops or overseers. Those words are often interchangeable for pastor, shepherd. And can I just say to you, even if you never serve in a church in that role, God can use you to help shepherd younger people in the faith. Maybe not chronologically. It may be that you're 15 years old shepherding somebody that's 30 to get them to the Lord. But God can use you in that way. First of all, check yourself. Secondly, be on guard for the church. Be on guard for the flock that He's made you overseers of. One job of the shepherd certainly was to feed the sheep, but another was to protect the sheep. Sheep are dumb animals. They're also defenseless animals. They're also not real smart animals. You don't see trained attack sheep. You also don't see trained sheep at the circus. And so what's Paul saying? Listen, sheep need help. They won't even see that there's green grass over there. They won't know to get out of the bad weather. And they are totally defenseless against wolves that can come in. If the shepherd's not there guarding the flock, the sheep will be lost. Why? Because they're defenseless apart from the shepherd. Now, our shepherd ultimately is Jesus Christ. He's the good shepherd. But he's called of us who are mature in the faith to help shepherd the others, help be on guard for false teaching. In fact, he said, let me just warn you. There is coming among you savage wolves. What a description. Not just wolves, but savage wolves. The word means weighty or burdensome or grave. That's what's coming among you. And they have one thing in mind, self-interest. What's a wolf want out of a sheep? He wants to eat the sheep. Why? Because the wolf is hungry. Does he care about the future of the sheep? No. He's going to pick off the the weakest one that he can find, and he's going to eat him and leave his carcass there with no concern for the sheep. And what is he looking for? The next meal. Paul is saying, in the sense of the church, the same thing is true. If you have people that come in your midst that are savage wolves, that are only interested in themselves, then be on guard for them. Point them out. Warn the church. Because they're, listen, even, and worse than that is, not just the wolves that come in from the outside, but he said, be on guard also for the fact that from among your midst, from some of your own brethren, there's going to be men arise who are going to speak perverse things. What does the word perverse mean? It means to make crooked. Paul says, I've told you the straight truth. As soon as I leave, there's going to be people come in behind me and try to crooked the straightness. They're going to try to warp it, distort it, pervert it. And what is their purpose? Self-interest. They're going to talk bad about me. They're going to talk bad about God. They're going to look like a sheep. But what are they? A wolf. (laughs) And they have a self-interest. In fact, if you've got your Bibles, I I want to name a name. Look over at John chapter 3. I'll let you name your own names in our contemporary culture because they're out there. But I'll, I'll show you an example in John, 3 John, excuse me. Third John. Here's an example in the church, and there, there's a bunch of them. This is just one I'm giving you. Third John. You got Big John. Then at the end of the Bible, at the end of the New Testament, you got First, Second, Third John. One chapter, verse nine. He said, "I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say." 
For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words. And not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either. And he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil is, has not seen God. So John, writing Third John, calls him out, names him by name. Now, be careful. Be careful pointing out error, because what does the Bible say? Hey, why are you trying to pick a speck out of his eye if you've got a log in your own eye? So what did Paul say? He said, look at yourself first. Then be on guard for the flock. And when the wolves come in, protect the flock. And then he closes with this. I commend you to God. What does that mean? Paul's saying, I am constantly taking you before the throne of God. Paul says, I am praying for you. We see this in other letters of Paul. I'm praying for you. Because there's a couple of things I really want to see God do in your life. I want to see, I'm commending you to God and to the word of His grace. Because I want to see Him build you up. He's able to build you up. There's going to be people trying to tear you down. He's able to build you up. And He's able to give you an inheritance. That's what we hope for, folks. That regardless of this life, even the, even the opposition that we may face, there's a day coming when we're welcome into heaven. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come into your reward. That's the inheritance. And Paul says, I leave you with this thought. I commend you to God. How does this apply then in the 21st century in the year 2010? Well, I kind of walked you through that as we talked, but just a couple of things to close. If, you're, if you know that you're a child of God, receive this letter from Paul. Receive this instruction from Paul to imitate him in ministry. If you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I'd say the same thing that Paul would to you today. Repent. Turn from the direction you've been going and turn back to a God that loves you. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for a word that was written 2,000 years ago, but your word is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce to the division of joint and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So in Paul's closing to these leaders from Ephesus, Lord, I pray that, God, you would help us today to do a self-examination. And if we don't know you, God, draw us to yourself, that we would come to faith in Christ. God, if we do know you, and God, would we recognize that whether we're paid staff of a church or not, we're part of your ministry. And our service is ultimately to you, Lord. Show us what it is you want us to do. And God, for some in this room, that may be the, needs to be the, the focus of their prayer as they leave this place. God, what do you have for me to do? And Father, thank you that you're able to build us up. And you have promised us as an inheritance. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.